The Lord be with you. It is good to be back in worship together as we start 2023. A few months ago, when our worship design team was doing some planning and looking ahead to the new year, uh, we were pondering the question of what, what might people need to hear or want to hear as we are starting uh, another year. And often, as we turn the page on a new year, people think about making resolutions. And, um, you know, resolutions can be good and helpful, motivational. Um, they can inspire us to uh, better versions of ourselves. And statistics also suggest that within the first few weeks of a new year, most people have already dropped their resolutions or not followed through on them. Uh, amen? Anybody have that happen to you at some point before? Um, which, when that happens, that can lead to people having feelings of disappointment, uh, or even guilt or shame about not having followed through on the things that they said they were going to do. And so, for this year, we thought that rather than focusing on something that uh, is based on our own accomplishments, to do more, to achieve more, uh, that from a worship standpoint, we might take a look at what it means for us to simply trust more, to lean into the good news of God's grace and presence in our lives, to listen to what Scripture has to say to us, about how God loves us uh, and welcomes us into community and into life and life abundant. So, start here uh, is the idea. Start here with these uh, little snippets of good news about Jesus uh, and about God's presence in our lives. So, we're going to start today with a, a scripture passage that is in the second letter to Corinthians uh, that we find in the New Testament. Paul wrote this to the community uh, that he had helped start in Corinth. And uh, so, a little bit of the background is, as Paul is writing, um, something has bubbled up in the Corinthian community where there are people who are saying things about Paul uh, and, and making some judgments and assumptions about him that are, that are untruthful and unhelpful. And so, he's having to respond to those, and he's trying to do so in a way that um, not only provides a defense, but, but also invites people to think differently about the way in which we look at uh, the world and one another. So, uh, take a listen now. You can follow along on the screen as I read these verses for us this morning. So then, from this point on, we won't recognize people by human standards. Even though we used to know Christ by human standards, that isn't how we know Him now. So then, if anyone is in Christ… That person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away, and look, new things have arrived. All of these new things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the world to Himself through Christ by not counting people's sins against them. He has trusted us with this message of reconciliation. So, we are ambassadors who represent Christ. God is negotiating with you through us. We beg you as Christ's representatives, be reconciled to God. God caused the one who didn't know sin to be sin for our sake, so that through Him we could become the righteousness of God. This is the Word of God for the people of God, and God's people say, thanks. thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Come Holy Spirit, 
and breathe life into the words that I speak this morning, that they might carry a word from you into our hearts and lives. Amen. I remember vividly the week that our daughter Shelby began sixth grade. Now, some of you out there have parented children going, uh, making that transition from elementary school to middle school, uh, beginning the season of adolescence and all that it entails, and you know it can be daunting and challenging, amen? Not only for the child, but for the parents as well. So I remember us going through the process that week of of helping her feel ready and wanting to do all we could so that she felt confident and comfortable, uh, going and shopping for clothes that made her feel comfortable in her own body, finding a backpack that she would be happy about wearing to school. And so off she goes to the first day of sixth grade with a big smile on her face And at the end of the first day of sixth grade, she comes home bawling her eyes out. Mom, Dad, I have to have a pair of Etnies. Anybody remember Etnies in here? Anybody? Okay, Marissa thankfully remembered them. She knows, and maybe some of you, yes, right? You remember Etnies. So Etnies is a particular brand of shoe that uh, started out being a shoe for skateboarders. Now, Shelby had never been on a skateboard in her life, but when she got to the first day of sixth grade, everybody around her had Etnies on, or at least that was her perception, and so she had to have a pair of Etnies or she was not going to fit in. Our son Sid, at the age of five, was putting his Christmas list together. And we asked Sid, uh, as we saw him working on this one day, Sid, what have you got on your Christmas list this year? I want some clothes with a check mark on it. (laughs) He didn't even know yet at age five to call it Nike clothing, but he had seen enough boys around him wearing clothes with a check mark that he knew that that must be pretty cool. And so he wanted some clothes with a check mark. Man, comparison, it gets us, doesn't it? Comparison starts so early on, and we all know all too well that it doesn't end when we get out of grade school. Maybe the metrics and the means and the particulars change, but the tendency stays with us our whole lives to compare ourselves to others, some outside or external force. It was in 1954 that Leon Festinger coined the term social comparison theory. Now, that didn't mark the beginning of social comparison, of course. It is as old as humanity, and all we have to do is look at some stories from Scripture to know how true that is. Remember the story of Jacob and Esau, or the story of Jacob's children and how all of them uh, felt like uh, their father loved their brother Joseph more than the rest of them, which caused them to want to sell him off into slavery? Social comparison has always been with us. Festinger took it and characterized it in some particular ways and actually even broke it up into three categories. So he talks about upward comparison, those times when we are looking at someone that we perceive as being better than or more accomplished or achieved, and we are wanting to to elevate our own sense of being in comparison to that person. Then he talks about downward comparison, which is something we tend to practice when, um, when we want to, 
when we want to look at somebody that we think of as less than, which uh, we do to help us feel better about ourselves. And then there's the lateral comparison where we compare ourselves with folks that we consider to be relatively equal peers. Some recent research suggests that a typical adult spends about 10% of all of their daily thoughts on comparison. Think about that. One-tenth of everything that we think about, typically, on average, has something to do with making comparisons. Now, comparisons in and of themselves don't necessarily have to be a bad thing. They can be a motivational force, an inspirational tool. I remember the first time I played in a significant tennis tournament and I got totally drubbed 6-1-6-1 by Davy Hairston. I wanted to be more like Davy. And so it motivated me to, to work on my game and to improve over time, wanting to reach that point and that day when I could finally beat Davy in a match. Now I'm learning to play pickleball. And I enjoy looking at others that, that are better than myself or that I perceive to be better, that have more skills so that I can learn some things and try to elevate my own game. Anybody else out there learning, get, catching the pickleball craze? I know some of you are. Yeah. And you can do it right here on Trinity's campus on Thursday mornings. But the truth is that far too often, comparison ends up becoming something that serves a detrimental presence in our lives and in our relationships. Psychologists point out that we can uh, get sucked down a rabbit hole where we experience deep dissatisfaction and guilt and remorse and shame and even begin to lash out with destructive behaviors that hurt both ourselves and others. It was Teddy Roosevelt who is credited with coining the phrase, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. Now the list of things that we compare ourselves to others on can be endless and exhausting. Career, looks, health, wealth, education, family life, you name it, we can go down that path of looking at how we measure up to someone else. And in the last 10 to 15 years, the social media feed only magnifies that, doesn't it? When we look and see what others, or at least what it looks like, others are experiencing in their lives, uh, those feelings of comparison that lead us toward uh, dissatisfaction with our own lives only get magnified. Molly Dongia in a blog post talks about three negative effects of comparison that we often experience when we follow that path. The first is that we become discontent with what we have or even worse with who we are. Second, that we think we need to have more or perhaps be more in order to be happy. And third, we become jealous. We envy what we see in someone else's life. So a question for you all this morning. Where is comparison stealing your joy these days? In what part or aspect of your life are you 
encountering comparison in such a way that it's having a detrimental effect on your life. It's causing you to have those feelings of discontent and dissatisfaction. It's a good thing for us to ponder. And I would also then say, just don't stay there. Don't wallow in it. Name it, identify it, recognize it, and don't wallow in it. Don't stay on that path downward. And so I want to invite you to say these two words with me this morning, in Christ, in Christ. Because my friends, that is where we encounter good news. Here is the good news that God invites us to a different way of seeing things, and particularly a different way of seeing ourselves This is at the heart of Paul's message to the Corinthians that we hear today. Paul is inviting them to adopt a new standard of living. That word gets used in the very first verse from today. From this point on, he says, we won't recognize people by human standards. Paul is saying to the Corinthians and to us by extension, don't let human comparisons continue to drag you and others around you down. Now, this message from Paul is based on his own experience of God's grace. Perhaps you remember that Paul, in an earlier time in his life, went by the name Saul, uh, and he was a man of what might be described as perfect pedigree. He knew all the right people. He was from the right tribe of Israel. He was following the law to, to the T. Um, he, had done, he had done all the right things in terms of his educational background and being present in the synagogue. Paul had it all together by the world's standards or by human standards. And part of what Paul was doing in that part of his life was also judging who Christ was based on a human standard. You see, Paul was part of, part of a belief system that said that the Messiah that would come would come as a mighty warrior and strike down all of his enemies and raise up Israel to fame and fortune again, unelevated above everyone else. Paul was missing the new thing that God was doing in and through Christ. But then he had that encounter. You remember the story that we read about in the book of Acts, where Paul is on the road to Damascus. And he is suddenly blinded by the light, literally. And in that moment, he has an awakening, a new thing that God is doing in his own life. And he comes to realize that he has been misunderstanding, misinterpreting what it is that God is doing in and through Christ. It enables him to shift and no longer see Christ from a human standard, as he mentions in the passage today. But when he comes to that good news, by extension, it also helps him realize that if he shouldn't judge Christ by human standards, he also shouldn't be judging himself or others by human standards either. God has come with good news in Christ to free him and others. And this enables him to shift that perspective Now, in the chapter right before this one, in chapter 4, 
We hear Paul talk about how God has given him and others who carry the message of good news this treasure in clay jars. Why does he use clay jars as a metaphor? Well, what happens to a clay jar if you drop it? It breaks, right? We are imperfect people. And yet, God can be at work in and through every one of our lives. And the reason we have the treasure in clay jars is so that we don't get caught up in who we are, but we focus our attention on who God is in our lives and among us. And so then, the love that God pours out on us in Christ changes everything. In Christ, God initiates the work of reconciliation. The way, the way it's phrased in Paul's letter today is not counting people's sins against them. You all have experienced it before. You know what it's like when you feel like you haven't measured up to someone else's expectations or assumptions about who you are or who you should be. You know what it feels like to not meet the grade. And we all know what it feels like to have done that to somebody else, to make somebody else feel like they don't measure up. In the good news of today, we hear that God is at work in Christ, extending abundant and extravagant love our way and not counting our sins against us. That is a liberating idea, my friends. It frees us. Rather than requiring us to measure up first to God's standards, God sets us free for joyful living through the work of God's redeeming love. So the order of things is this. God acts first. We are invited to respond. God doesn't set some arbitrary benchmark and say, once you achieve this, once you're this good or this accomplished or you've done this much, then I will welcome you, I will receive you. No, no, no. God acts first out of great love. And when we come to recognize that love, we cannot help but respond with a life that changes. Paul puts it this way, if anyone is in Christ... That person is part of the new creation. John Wesley, in his notes on this particular passage from 2 Corinthians, says that this is what it looks like when that begins to happen. All things become new. The person has new life, new senses, new faculties, new affections, new appetites, new ideas and conceptions. The whole tenor of action and conversation is new. And the person lives, as it were, in a new world. God, humanity, the whole creation, heaven, earth, and all therein appear in a new light. We have an epiphany. And we stand related in a new manner since we are created anew in Christ Jesus. In receiving God's gift of acceptance first... We then become ambassadors for it in the world. We can't help but share with others this liberating way of understanding ourselves and how much God loves us. This then is our new 
standard of living. Responding with joy to the yes that God speaks over our lives then moves us toward inviting others to experience God's yes for themselves as well. And that makes all the difference. So in 2023, friends, start here. Start here with the good news of how much God loves you. And let your life be changed from the inside out so that you might extend that love out into the world to others. Thanks be to God.